Hey, what's up, guys? Robin E. back on another episode of Pillow Talk. As always, I'd like to shout out any and everybody that ever listens, shares, tells people about my show. I've been getting a lot of buzz, a lot of clout lately, so I'm I'm feeling myself. No, I'm just kidding, but it's it's nice. So I'm definitely going to try to make 2019 the year of Pillow Talk. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. Um, today, I just want to get on a more serious topic, something that pertains to me deeply due to the fact that I am a black woman, and I just want to do a three-part series and see what y'all think about it. Ridiculed, subjected, mistreated, prejudged, violated, abused, outcast, and idolized. In the same breath, the black man is praised and feared by the place they've learned to call home. How can a black man feel comfortable when he is constantly harassed and subjected in his own neighborhood? Again, as a black woman that comes from a black man surrounded by black brothers, uncles, cousins, and friends. The current state of the black man in America does not only shock me, but it scares me because the uncertainty is so high, you're almost unsure of where half of the, the, the male population will be. The future state of black men just seems, you know, unrealistic in a sense that they have the ability to evolve, but due to the mental jail that they are faced with, they just won't. And I always preach about the mental jail that many black men face because this is something that's really real and it's something that goes on from generation to generation to generation due to not wanting to learn more, not allowing yourself to learn more. But we have to break that wall and we have to start now. Like I was briefly saying, um, I want to do a three-piece episode on the future, the present, and the past of the black man. As much as I want to believe that the mental cycle is changing for black men, I'm not a man. (laughs) So who am I to say what's really being done or if there really is a change? Because I'm not the one that's actually facing that reality. I can't comprehend the mental strides they face. And I just want to hear the future of the black man from a black man himself. So stay tuned and vibe out with me and my guest, which will detail the future state of the black man. He is a young black man. And I think that it's important for us to get a real life perspective and opinion on what the fuck is going on and how we can change the what the fuck is going on uh, into what needs to be happening and how can we execute this stuff. So stay tuned because it's going to get real. Hey, what's up, everybody? Robin E. back on this new episode of Pillow Talk. Today, I got a very special guest, my first real guest on Pillow Talk, actually, so this is pretty dope. My little brother, Rob. (laughs) Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, I'm 20 years old. I'm currently a sophomore at UIC. I'm just a young nigga out here trying to make it in the world, man. You know, I want to thank my sister Robin for bringing me on here. I'm definitely honored to be the first guest in this motherfucker. You know, yeah. and hopefully today we uh 
We dropped some knowledge on you, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Told y'all. Y'all thought I was smooth. This is the real smooth nigga right here. The smoothest <laughs> nigga. The smoothest nigga I know. <laughs> so um, today we're just going to get on a little more serious topic, you know, discussing the trials and tribulations of being a black man here in America. I wanted to do a three-part series on this topic. And today we're talking about the future of the black man. So, you know, it's important for us to hear the youth and hear the younger generation because they're the ones that are going to have to face the changes that we're supposed to be making. So me and Rob just going to conversate, go over some topics and questions and see what y'all think. So growing up, what type of images did you see of black men? Well... Uh, as a child, I grew up in a fairly conventional household in comparison to a lot of my friends. So I did have my father in my life, you know, of course, and that was something positive. And I also had uh, other male figures in my family, such as like my uncle or my grandpa who worked and, you know, led clean lifestyles, if you will. So that was a chance for me to see positive role models and that was a chance for me to look at what, you know, a lifestyle away from the streets and stereotypical activities of males. But I also had friends in school and I also had some cousins and family members who did live lives of crime, if you will, and were, you know, victims to the streets. And so even though I saw the positive lifestyle as well, I got a chance to see what the underworld can do to you, too. So, you know, ultimately, I would say even though I got a chance to see both sides, I saw more negative males in my life, not only because of what I experienced, but, you know, the perception that black males have in America as a whole uh, tends to be more so negative when you watch TV, listen to music, and just consume media and pop culture as a whole, you know. So even though I knew better, uh, I really got more negative perceptions of what it was to be black from a young age more so than I saw positive images. Okay. So seeing negative images, do you think that that shaped your perspective, you know, on the world? how to live in the world, you know, being a black man? Do you think that that gave you a certain type of direction that you just had to to do? Well, uh, I definitely felt uh, obligated in an odd way to act a certain way just because I recognized from a young age that the way I carried myself was different than stereotypical black males just because of stereotypes we face people would uh, hear me, you know, say things and use big words that they weren't familiar with. And instead of, you know, complimenting me on my intelligence or something, you know, you get shit like, you sound white. Mm. And to hear that I talked white from such a young age, you know, it made me feel bad. And that's not the kinds of things that, you know, a young black man should have to deal with, Mm -hmm. but it made me realize what kind of role that the black male 
uh, occupied within pop culture, you know, and how people perceived us because people were surprised that I didn't act the way that most black males typically acted. So even though I wouldn't speak on it or I wouldn't always say nothing, you know, from the time that I would get things like that, I knew from a young age that I had like a duty in a way and I had to hold myself to a high standard and I had to keep being that way to break that stereotype to try to show people that not all black people are ignorant and that you can be smart and you can be intelligent and you can still be black and that, you know, intelligence is not exclusive to white people, you know, and Mm -hmm. that it was okay for me to be that way, you know, but I realized from a young age. Okay. Yeah, that's very true. Definitely very true. So I know you mentioned before that you had your dad obviously we had our dad growing up in our lives so we were blessed as far as not having the stereotypical black setup where the father is absent what was one main thing that our father taught you and something that you just carry with you now well one thing that my dad just always taught me from young age was just simply stay in school You know, uh, it's something that's kind of cliche. You hear it a lot, but I feel like it doesn't get drilled into black kids' minds enough. And I didn't really think nothing of it as a child when he would first tell me. But as I got older, he told me stories of his, you know, failures in school and how he never finished college and Mm -hmm. how it haunts him to this day. It made me realize the importance of staying in school, you know. And he would always say, you know, hey, man... (laughs) you might be good at a lot of things, but, you know, you the best at school. That's the one thing you've been doing your whole life. You've been going to school your whole life, so you might as well keep going to school. Yeah. So, you know, it felt like he knew that that was a good path for me to take even before I knew. And as I got older and saw my friends, specifically black friends, more so than other friends, drop out have children at young ages, you know, uh, and things of that nature. It made me realize the importance of just staying in an education, educational setting, you know, regardless of where you're at. It's just important to try to stay in school, you know. So that was one thing I always took from my father. Definitely. <laughs> Very true, SIUC alumni, whoop, whoop. Uh, but that's definitely true. Um, what do you just say? Knowledge is power. Power is knowledge. Something like that. But (laughs) that's definitely key. We don't stress that enough in a black community, and we definitely should. Um, Black people are very smart, and we're very intelligent, naturally born thinkers, hustlers, whatever. So we should do better at putting those skills to the test. Very true. So growing up, Obviously, in the black urban community, we're faced with violence and jail and injustices and all that great stuff that happens to us on the regular. And growing up, I know I've seen a lot of my friends go to jail for petty shit and some for big shit. But it's something that's definitely more relevant within the black community. So how many of your friends or relatives or anybody, how many do you know that are locked up and what type of crimes are they locked up for? Well, throughout my life, uh, I've seen, I would say roughly 
about a group of like four of my family members go in and out of jail. Uh, you know, like my two cousins, uncle of mine, my big brother. But as right now, you know, they're not in jail, fortunately. In the past, I saw them get locked up for things like Grand Theft Auto, uh, armed robbery, assault, and other violent crimes, you know, because they were all had their own gang ties individually. But as of right now, I, I still have two friends of mine who actually are locked up. Uh, one of them uh, was an acquaintance of mine who I knew in high school that was a friend of a close friend of mine. So even though me and him weren't exactly too close ourselves, it just hurt me to see how bad it hurt him when he left because he got locked up for a murder and he got pinned for the murder and he's still serving time for that murder right now. And as for my other friend, uh, he was, uh, you know, a part of a murder that took place and he was there, you know, without me saying everything. And he also still was locked up for that. So for me to see two people that I went to high school with get tied to murder cases was very serious because not only, you know, were lives taken, you know, but simultaneously, you know, they had got their freedom taken away, which also made them lose their lives in a way because, you know, it was like that that saying, you know, about how the streets always can get you in, you know, one or two places. And for me to see that happen at those two times where simultaneously one person went to jail and one person went to the grave, mm-hmm. it just made me realize that that was true. And that, you know, living that kind of lifestyle really does only get you to certain places. And for me to see that you know, happen in a reoccurring situation like that, you know, within a short span of time in high school, it was like, damn, you know. And then the second friend I mentioned, you know, that was somebody I was, you know, cool with. So to see somebody you actually sitting here hanging out with and you in class, you working with the man, you know, that's your coworker, y'all going and getting high shit at the work <laughs> to, you know, you trying to write to him or whatever, I don't know. It's pretty fucked up. So, you know, at the end of the day, just stay away from those kinds of things if you can, because ultimately the effects that that can have, you know, is is greater than just you. You know, a lot of times people don't understand the magnitude of the situation until it's too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's fucked up. Wow. Definitely. Right. More than one life lost in a situation like that. That's just. That's very unfortunate. Aside from a lot of violent crimes that blacks go to jail for, the number one thing that African-Americans go to jail for is drugs. Black people fill up all of the jails. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And most of those charges are for drug-related things that could be dropped or excused or whatever the case is. But... They count for 40% of the 6.8 million population that's in jail. That's damn near half of the whole jail population. Like, that's fucked up. You know, and it just makes you think about what what type of drug is you selling? You know, that makes you think like, damn, they must be selling that hard or whatever the case is. And woo-woo-woo. Of course, most of those drugs are weed. But there are the, you know, uh, like class 4 felony drugs that they go to jail for as well. It's just weird. Because it's like white people 
<laughs> have a higher uh, drug usage of those illicit drugs like heroin and crack than black people do. Hell, they make up more of the fucking population than we do. And for us to make up more of the jail population, that, that correlation is just like, <laughs> it's fucked up. I've had so many friends go to jail for selling drugs. I had a friend that almost went to jail because somebody died off of the drugs that he sold. And it just makes me think, obviously it's fucked up anytime somebody overdoses, period. But weed is something that's minuscule, you know. And so many white people got their dispensaries and they got this and they got that, you know what I'm saying? And everything's cool and gravy. Meanwhile, JoJo down the street just went to jail for this pound. It's just fucked up. (laughs) But they're really upset because the the drug overdose of the crack and heroin is trickling down into their neighborhoods and now their people are dying. So now it's a problem. <laughs> when it's white kids overdosing, it's a problem. But crack been hot since the eighties. <laughs> like motherfuckers been, you know, doing drugs, hard drugs in the black community and dying for a long time. And unfortunately we've been serving our people, which is fucked up. But you know, nobody's been stopping that. Nobody's been doing anything about it and again until little white Susie dies. So I just want to mention that because that shit is crazy. It's fucked up. <laughs> um, so describe a time where you were like prejudged or mistreated and how did you deal with the situation? Um the first time that just comes to mind most recently was actually at school at UIC. Uh, it wasn't too big of an issue, but it definitely made me take a look at myself differently. It made me second guess myself, which 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 was not fair to me because you know I shouldn't have had to feel that way. I shouldn't have had to second guess myself or you know feel insecure in any sort of way, but nonetheless, you know, that's, that was the feeling that I had, but what had happened was, you know, I was just sitting in my English class, and, you know, we was just doing, you know, a typical, like, hey, you know, we about to go around this and that, everybody say your name, introduce where you're from, and this and that, and, you know, we all went and did it. I told everybody, hey, you know, I'm from Waukegan, this and that. And that was cool, and it was whatever. And then the next day, I came into class, you know, and it was like after I had introduced myself, I had multiple conversations with the teacher and everything. You know, I thought he identified with me. Mm-hmm. The next day, it was like he already just forgot about everything. And then it wasn't that. I was like, okay, well, you know what? They teach a lot of students, this and that, okay, but it wasn't how he had just forgot. It was the fact that he put me in a specific category category that made me feel as if he just assumed, oh, he's one of them. I had just told you the day before I was from Waukegan, you know, whatever, and then I came into school, whatever, we talking, and he like, oh, yeah, what's your name again? Jerome? Where are you from? Oh, no, the fuck he did? Where are you from? I was like, no. My name is Rob. And he was like, oh, okay. He's white. Yeah, it's definitely a white teacher. And then, you know, he, oh, where are you from again? Mm. Inglewood? Nigga. No, from Waukegan. And it was like, oh, right, right. And it was like, damn. And he ain't think shit of it. And it just made me feel like, wow, 
he was that quick to forget. And then when he saw me again, it was like me being fresh in his mind. That was again mm. the, the 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 impression that he got initially until I reminded him who I was. Yeah. And it just made me feel like if he was so quick to throw me in that category before he really, you know, became comfortable with who I was, it just made me feel like that's probably how he looked at other black kids off bat who presented themselves in any sort of similar manner to me, you know, and it, it made me feel bad because I feel like people need to learn to separate, you know, black culture mm-hmm. from, you know, being from the hood, you know, because there's plenty of uh, uh, bad areas in Chicago that's mm-hmm. full of Puerto Ricans and Mexicans. <laughs> I know a lot of niggas who don't like going to humble Park around a certain time of night, so it's not always about a black thing or whatever, you know, is just me presenting myself in a certain way, I guess. Yeah. It made him feel like I was Jerome from Inglewood, which mm-hmm. was so stereotypical Definitely. and blatantly racist. And the fact that he didn't say nothing of it and didn't even think to apologize, he just carried on like, hey, Rob, what did you want to talk to me about? Fuck all that. Let's get to this school shit. Mm-hmm. It just made me feel... Like, he was very quick to be prejudiced, and this is how he views other black kids. And, you know, that's something that we got to try to break somehow. Mm-hmm. We got to try to break away from that stereotype somehow. I definitely, right, would have got on his ass. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I just told your ass. Like, wait a second. And then that make you want to bring the black out. Now you got to put on that, that other black face. You know, that's fucked up. I'm very good at switching on my blackface, unfortunately. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's necessary in certain situations to not always have that fist up in the air. But in certain situations, you got to listen. <laughs> I don't I don't need that um, prejudice annotation, <laughs> professor or dude, whatever your name is. Like, that's irritating as fuck. That just made me mad. Where the hell you get your own from? Right. What the hell? <laughs> I had one professor at SIU, Mr. Fox, that was white, and he taught black studies. Ironically enough. Yeah, but he was the dopest white man. He had a black wife and shit. He lived in Africa for like 20 years. Oh, wow. He was really You know, he was really... <laughs> and and then it was funny because he blue-eyed, white, blonde hair. He white, the devil white, as Granny would say. <laughs> like, he white, white. But it's just like, of course, everybody was black in the class. He never, there was no other race in the class. And when I tell you this man knew and pronounced everybody's name correctly, <laughs> he got a gold motherfucking star. <laughs> I'm talking about Shaquana, <laughs> Aaronique, <laughs> Devontius. Like, he and that bitch roll calling good as hell, you know? I'm like, you with the shit. But just that little, you know, annotation of, you know, he probably practiced them names type shit. Like he looked at that roster so that he could identify your, you know, Devontaeus, you know, your Deshante. He called us by our names and he looked at us. And when people weren't there, he knew your ass wasn't there. It wasn't like a lecture style class anyway, but it was a good 30 people in there. Mm-hmm. So to know 30, you know, kids throughout the day or whatever, how many classes he taught, that was probably like a good 200 probably kids to know like that. Black kids. Yeah, man. That's big. You know, <laughs> and, and you're saying that just makes me think like you couldn't even do, couldn't even take the time to try to recognize a face or a name. 
you obviously you're not gonna remember everything, but the fact that you ain't even try, motherfucker, <laughs> like you know, like bitch, you better. I would have rather took Ricky or something like something. Jerome, my nigga. <laughs> you know, but that just made me think of Mr. Fox because it's like, wow, I didn't think about the importance of that really at that time, but it that's important. That's recognition right there. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so aside from being, you know, subjected and treated unfairly by certain surroundings, of course, the police is always a number one enemy for black men. Unfortunately, I don't really know um, if you've ever truly been harassed by the police. So if you have been harassed by the police, you know, what what happened and and. How did that make you feel after everything? Well, I have been a victim to some police harassment on like two or three occasions. The most recent one uh, was, again, me being in Chicago uh, about three or four months ago. I was just visiting a friend of mine after class. Uh, he didn't necessarily live in the worst part of town. He stays in the Pilsen neighborhood, uh, which is like on the lower west side, like predominantly Mexican area. But it's still decent, fairly gentrified, I guess. Anyways, we was just walking from the corner store. We literally had bought some pizza slices, nothing major. That's all we had, some pizza slices in our hands. And... As we right around the corner from my homie crib, you feel me? We back right as we walk up the block, we seen this motherfucking Tahoe, this black Tahoe, and it had like one of those little extra mirrors on the on on the side view mirror, and I was like, no, nah, that's the Jakes. But then I'm seeing they undercover. I'm thinking, fuck it, whatever. But I peeped that shit though, mm-hmm. and we said, we we right here by the crib. What's gonna happen? Sure enough, these niggas stopped. It was just me and him. Now, we weren't doing nothing, but I'll tell you what, what it was, though. I had on some Timberlands. I had on some uh, yellow do-rag. I had on a North Face jacket. He was wearing some Jordans. He had a gold chain shining. He had on a Nike f- fleece. We looked like some young black men mm-hmm. in reality. We weren't doing anything, but I could see how they felt like we could have been doing something. And right hand to God, if I'm lying... He stopped. He says, where are you guys going? What are you guys doing? We stopped walking. We like, we just got some pizza. He come up to me. He start touching me. He say, is this a gun in your pocket? I had an Arizona I had bought, and I had it, like, in my coat pocket because I had on the coat, and it was big enough for me to throw the whole Arizona in there. And he felt that Arizona, and he stopped, and he said, is that a gun in your pocket? So I had to put my hands up pull out the fucking Arizona and show them the Arizona to show them that we ain't had no weapons on us. Mm -hmm. And then they let us go. For what? They didn't even have no reason. They didn't even say we heard this or that, nothing like that. We was like, hey, what are you guys doing? Where are you going? Now, that might have been the case. They may have got calls of a shooting or something happening, but Mm -hmm. they didn't say any of that or relay any of that to us. They didn't relay anything of that to us. They just forcibly 
frisked us and patted us down to search us for weapons, made us stop. Now, thank God we didn't have any drugs, any weed, nothing of that nature on us. But had we been having something, we would have just went to jail just for being profiled and then ended up getting charged with something after the fact, which was terrible. And, and, and which was even more heartbreaking is as we making our way into the house, you know, we 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 was locked up. It was three of us at my other homie friend house, me and my one homie walking home, the other one in the crib. You know, we ain't got no key or nothing. We knocking like, bro, come to the door. He taking a minute. While we standing on the porch and shit, we look down the street. We see that same Tahoe pull up on another nigga. And he stopped a nigga in a car parked in front of his house. Mm. He was in his front of his house sitting. The car was not going nowhere. He just had the lights on. And that was enough for the police to see. I guess he was smoking. Mm. This nigga in front of his crib. And they go and then they pull this man out the goddamn car. Mm. And they like, what are you doing? And this, that, and the third. And we smell weed. But he was sitting there in front of his shit. And he like, I live here. They like, we smell weed. Mm. And we watching this man getting arrested as we making our way into the house, just barely avoiding that shit from these same police officers. And he was black too. And that shit was not a coincidence. Mm. And, you know, Chicago has been known as a racist city since the beginning of time. And, you know, for me to experience that firsthand was scary because it just made me feel like when I'm in the city, I don't have the same sort of protection that other civilians have. And that's just not right Mm -hmm. because the reality situation is we weren't doing anything wrong and we really were just going and getting some pizza. So for him to stop us like that was just terrible. And it, it just let me know that, you know, as I've grown older, you know, and grown from being a young kid into a young black male that I'm now perceived as dangerous in the community just because I'm a young black male. Yeah, that's crazy, though. Definitely profiling. Any chance that they get, that's what they do. Yeah, that's messed up. That's crazy that so many young black men have already faced police, you know, brutality in a sense. So many of us are grown up to know this is what you do when you encounter police, which is something that everybody doesn't even talk about. You know, it's something that you just kind of know because when you're black, that's a survival tactic. You know, it's like, how do you feel safe when the people that are paid to protect your ass are the ones that are harassing you? Like, that's fucked up. You know, it's crazy. Um, so do you believe we as a black race can ever overcome, uh, these injustices that we face? And if so, what type of tactics do you think we should take? Uh, I definitely believe so. Just because, um, when you look back, you know, at the origins to African Americans in America as a whole to, where we are now, you know, I know we may not be exactly in a promised land, but when you look at the cultural impact we've had on society and on the world for all these years, you know, I think that only just goes to show you the capabilities of black people, you know. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson was statistically, you know, the most popular entertainer of all time, best-selling record artist of all time at the time of his death, you know, and he was black. The world's most popular entertainer of all time was black. 
if we could produce the world's most popular entertainer, you know, what what other things can we not do? Black people, you know, we have an amazing culture that's extremely unique and you know, there's so many positive aspects to our culture aside of all the negative things that get highlighted, you know. And I just think as black people we need to stop always trying to place blame on others, blaming this hypothetical white man or blaming other people, you know. I know a lot of people who are just content with just receiving, you know, government assists, welfare, and food stamps, and they don't do anything to try to better the situation. You can't continue to be fed up with your situation when you're not doing anything to better your situation. You can't keep praying to God if you're not making any effort. Mm -hmm. God going to make two steps, but you got to make that first step. Mm -hmm. You can't just expect him to work a miracle for you. And I think that's what's wrong with a lot of black people. We don't want to get out and work and do what we got to do. You know, they forget so quickly. Just a hundred years ago, many of our grandparents and them, you know, they was living in terrible conditions compared to what we have now. And they still was making it work. You know, I know niggas that's in the hood, whatever, this and that, terrible neighborhoods in the projects, Chicago, whatever. But them niggas still rocking Jordans every day and they mm-hmm. still be FaceTiming me off of their fucking iPhone. Mm-hmm. And they still be playing 2K with me off of their fucking PlayStation. Like, what's more important? Them goddamn Jordans are paying your light bill, nigga. Yeah. Black people, we got to learn to take accountability for shit at, at a certain point. And we got to stop being so self-destructive when you see the positive aspects of our culture and what we do when we put our heads together, you know, we, we unstoppable, you know, mm-hmm. all the amazing actors we've produced, all the amazing athletes, all the amazing activists, talk shows, celebrities. I don't even know, man. There's so many black celebrities that have came and made an amazing impact on the world. Mm-hmm. So what makes you guys think that you're not capable of being great in your own right and doing something yourself if, these people who come from these same areas and same circumstances that blacks still face today manage to do all of these amazing things, you know, because... So what should we do? What do you think we should do? What's, a, what's one step we can take? I think, you know, one step we need to take definitely is uh, we need to take a step towards education. A lot of people just completely neglected, signed to the streets, married to the block, this and that, and that's not cool. For those who live that lifestyle and come from that lifestyle and were subjected to those conditions by force and they still made a way, that's understandable. But for those who don't really have to live that lifestyle and choose to start, you know, gangbanging and things of that nature at 16, 17 in high school, once, you know, you've already kind of had a path carved out for yourself, you know, that's dumb. You don't need to throw your life away or live something that's cool to glorify that. You know, education is important. You look at many of the great, you know, African-Americans who had a positive impact in history, like I was saying, you know, they all went to school. Martin Luther mm-hmm. King is a Morehouse College alma mater graduate, you know. Oprah Winfrey went to Tennessee State University, you know. Spike Lee went to, to Morehouse as well, went to New York University, mm-hmm. you know, all these great Blacks who did immense things for our communities, you know, they they all went and and got a college education. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's just important for black people to invest in ourselves. And that's basically the best way you can invest in yourself because knowledge is power.
and that's something that they can't take away from you. That money, that shit's not going to last forever. Them cars, them clothes, that's not going to last. But knowledge, you know, that's forever. So we need to start going to school. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely always a positive step. I always like school, so I definitely want to go back and get my master's one day. Um, Yeah, I like school. So give a word of advice to the next generation of black men. Word of advice, I would say, is just be yourself. I know that might seem simplistic or cliche, but the older and older I get, I find that black people really have a hard time in society being themselves. They feel like they have to play a certain role, you know, Uh, like I was saying with this street thing or this ghetto, whatever, or not even that, you know, just this tough guy or maybe just being a hooper or being a rapper or whatever. We don't always have to go to these certain stereotypes, you know. I know this kid at my school who liked to skate. And he be catching flex from other black kids at my school because he skateboard. Man, fuck that shit, man. What's wrong with skateboard? If you want to skate, you can skateboard, you know. Maybe we need more great black skateboarders in the skate of skateboard, for all we know. I don't know, goddammit. But do you, you know? I think black people, we need to learn to think outside the box and just... Expand the horizons, not even just, you know, because, you know, of what we facing, but just to better ourselves. You know, we didn't did a lot in these fields, you know, where we familiar faces and, you know, the fields of music and, you know, athletics and things. Let's try to go elsewhere where we underrepresented and just try to explore other avenues. You know, don't be afraid to break away from the norm, because as young black males, you will face a lot of stereotypes growing up, whether you may be aware of it. Or not at the moment. So, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you, you know, do what you want to do, you know, and try not to succumb to those stereotypes, then the sky's the limit. Definitely. Definitely. Deep. The boy is deep. (laughs) I say the boy is deep. (laughs) That's what's up. Sky's definitely the limit. We definitely need more motivation amongst black young men. They don't get enough praise for what they do accomplish, and it's downlooked or overlooked a lot. So I think that's really important for us to encourage, you know, to the fullest potential and let them know that they have people behind them uh, supporting them and pushing them in the positive direction that they're trying to reach. So important. So important. Well, thank you little bro for being on the show and giving your knowledge and two cents. Definitely appreciate that. Um, hopefully the people got a lot of good feedback and uh, advice that they can take away from everything you said. It's important to hear the youth because you think you know, but you don't (laughs) unless somebody tell your ass. So take a moment to just let that shit soak in. Let that shit soak in. These are the scars of the injuries our history has endured. To live in this world knowing you're partially set to fail is really just a tragic reality. Our young men need guidance and opportunity more than anything right now. We must show them how to succeed in this world and as well as how to survive in it. Because these are the seeds that will blossom our future flowers. The birth of a new nation. 
We must nurture them to help break the cycle we've been, you know, struggling to break for decades. I always preach about the mental cycle because that shit is true. <laughs> it's true as hell. When you open your mind up to more, you're able to do more. You're able to be more. It's just as simple as that. I I didn't come from humble beginnings. Well, I did come from home beginnings, but I never let my surroundings affect my dreams and the type of person that I want to be. So don't let that shit affect you, young man, because y'all are kings and y'all have the opportunity to be more than what society tells you, period. Um, as always, I like to end with the quote, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be enraged almost all the time. James Baldwin. This is Robin E. on Pillow Talk. Hey, you already know what it is, man. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Peace out.